Welcome to Safety Net, a patient safety podcast with news, trends, and ideas from CRICO, the insurance program for all of the Harvard Medical Institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data-driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claims. A new safety advisory on how to respond when patients decline recommendations around virtual care was released early in 2022 by the Academic Medical Center Patient Safety Organization, or AMC-PSO. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and a rapid expansion of care delivery online, concern has arisen about patients' understanding of risks and benefits of that delivery model for their condition. This becomes especially important when their provider tells them that a virtual visit is inadequate. They need to be seen in person, but they won't come in. Because medical malpractice cases often take years to be brought and litigated, current trends in virtual care are not reflected in the data related to negligence claims. To get ahead of any potential risk, CRICO turned to the PSO to generate specific guidance for virtual visit-informed refusal. The AMC-PSO is a component of Risk Management Foundation of the Harvard Medical Institutions that performs patient safety activities as defined and protected under federal law. The AMC-PSO and the CRICO primary care physician leaders in the Harvard system convened to consider the issue of patient refusal when a primary care clinician recommends an in-person clinic visit instead of virtual care. The resulting patient safety alert highlights the convening's recommendations, which offer language to help providers communicate with patients, and guidance on documenting the refusal discussion. The alert includes a review of the top allegations associated primarily with in-person informed refusal medical professional liability cases for a recent 10-year period, and the factors that contribute to the allegations in those cases, as identified by clinical coders. One of the co-authors of the Informed Refusal Advisory, Dr. Adrian Allen, joins us now. Dr. Allen is Senior Director of Quality, Safety, and Sustainability at North Shore Physician Group, Mass General Brigham, Salem. Adrian, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you help us sort of set the context for the advisory? Why was the PSO interested in this issue, and why did it feel like it needed to, to put out something on informed refusal? You know, I think with the COVID pandemic, virtual care certainly exploded. And there was little guidance on how to handle some of the tricky situations that developed or presented themselves to the clinic. And so there was an interest in the PSO to do something on virtual care. I will say to ambulatory medicine, having had reviewed cases for many years, uh, a recurrent theme that shows up in our adverse event review is inaccurate or insufficient documentation of informed refusal when patients decline the preferred and advised care. And so whether it was virtual or not, there has been an issue around informed refusal and with the advent of virtual care, wedding the two together, just made sense at this time. And then when we start to look closely at this issue, what what does the data tell us about contributing factors or typical allegations? You know, the data is new on virtual care. So when we talk about allegations and we talk about contributing factors, it's really looking at 
mainly dated prior to the ritual care. And in, in prior to ritual care, the top allegations are failure, delay in wrong diagnosis, um, delay in treatment procedure, improper management uh, treatment course, improper medication regimen, and, and failure to monitor the patient's physiologic status. Those are the top allegations. When we look at the top associated contributing factors, um, often, and this is why we wanted to do the topic, it's insufficient or lack of documentation. In particular, um, the refusal to treat. Um, there are patient factors like non-adherence with treatment. There's patient assessment factors such as failure or delay in ordering a diagnostic test. There's failure to appreciate and reconcile relevant signs, symptoms, and tests. Um, and in the patient assessment realm, there is a narrow diagnosis focus. Informed refusal. So this is this is a situation you're, you're, you're with a patient and you're, you're recommending something. The patient says, I don't want to do that or um, I don't I want to do it differently. or I'm going to wait or, you know, just basically not sort of going along with what the doctor is suggesting or the practitioner is suggesting. Now, that, that certainly is not rare in practice, um, and, and there are many reasons for it. When we look at it through the virtual lens, we have to think back that a lot of this care was being delivered during a COVID crisis, and a lot of the refusal of care was patients refusing to come in to the office because they were afraid to catch COVID or leave the house, and a lot of it was... A, a failure or a fear of going to the emergency room for similar reasons, and then some concerns about copay. Um, if we look under the hood a little more, though, I think there's some patient understanding factors. And, and often what we were finding is that the team would say, we advise you to come in, or we advise you to go to the emergency room without saying the scary words of why. And, and so there's a reluctance sometimes to say, I'm worried you are having a heart attack. I'm worried you could die. Or I'm worried this abdominal pain could be something serious like a ruptured appendix. This is why we'd like you to come in. People, the care team at times, you know, is not used to saying what we're really thinking because sometimes it's scary. Um, what we're encouraging clinicians to do is actually say what you're worried about to help truly engage in that shared decision-making and then document if the patient declines. But at least at that point, there's a shared understanding of what the concern is and what the potential adverse events could be. Well, it, it sort of sounds like we're worried about uh, telling the patients what we're worried about. Um, but uh, how do you overcome that? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's at the crux of it. And I think the literature would support that. I think there was an old study about chronic kidney disease in particular and patients never knowing they had it, even though it was listed as a diagnosis and people afraid to say those words. Um, you know, I think part of overcoming it is talking about it openly together. Um, there has been great advancements in shared decision-making and patient autonomy over the last many years. And so part of that is giving the patients the information they need um, and actually saying the words. Uh, you know, often the team is afraid of scaring a patient um, and saying what the worst could be. Or, or often it's not the worst, right? We, we tell them we're worried it could be a heart attack and it 
turns out it's not, and then you lose credibility. But, you know, I think if framed correctly um, and with practice, it gets easier to do. Uh, you know, while most likely it's not a heart attack, this could be, I'm worried it could be, and we want to make sure we get you the best care. So, so it's really with scripting, um, scripting and practice with the team. A big barrier to this, so quite honestly, is time. You know, in a busy practice with multiple phone calls, and, and particularly during the height of COVID with multiple calls about COVID and other things, it's hard to take the time needed to adequately discuss this. And this is where scripting can help, you know, short lines or short sentences that could be readily available to team members to say, I'm worried your chest pain could be a heart attack for this reason, we're going to the emergency room. Um, I think scripting can help when time is short and it can help leverage team members, not just the primary care doctor or the head MP to have these conversations. We want to empower others on the team to be able to engage with patients. How did you uh, avoid adversarial feelings in this kind of discussion? Right, that, that can come up too. I think, you know, sometimes when a patient refuses care, there's a natural inclination to either get defensive or want to write off that patient, right? They often you see in the record, they refuse care and, and we leave it at that. I think it's hard in the moment and it's particularly hard when, um, when things are busy. And I think that's when leveraging the team can help. I think sometimes patients don't express all of their fears to the physician or to the MP and maybe leveraging the nursing team, the medical assistant team, if there are community health workers there to say, what's really going on here? And what are you worried about? You know, really asking the patient, why is it that you don't want to go to the ER? And then, and then you start to learn things, right? You start to learn things about copays. You start to learn things about previous bad experiences, which help garner understanding. But, but to be honest, sometimes it's just hard. And sometimes those feelings come up and you have to sit with it and say, oh, this is frustrating, but let me go back to my script. <laughs> and that's where scripting is helpful because in a busy moment, it is frustrating. You know, you want, you want patients to listen and, and to, to do things that will help their health. It's hard to sit back and see a patient do something or make a decision you fear will adversely impact their health. And, and, and watching that time and time again is hard. And that's where conferences like this or, you know, leaning on your colleagues can help. Do, do, do most clinicians think about documenting that at that point? Is, is that something, I mean, it was mentioned as a contributing factor to malpractice cases. It, it's often missing. Um, and what should they uh, document? Yeah, I, no, certainly. I think, I think this is a time factor. And the amount of time primary care physicians in particular are spending on non-face-to-face, -face, right? This would be non-face-to-face. -face. Fielding a phone call or fielding a, a message coming in on the record has grown. And so it's becoming increasingly challenging to adequately document. I think certainly most important is to have the conversation. Documentation becomes important for other team members to see that, for patients who can see their records to see the documentation and then to help the care go forward and to protect yourself in the case of an adverse event. And this is why we would encourage people to create some scripting ahead of time, some phrases you can insert, some pre-formed paragraphs that you could quickly insert, make it easier. Because if anything, it's getting harder to, to adequately do all of this. But certainly first and foremost is having a conversation and then trying to make it easy to insert those phrases in um, so it's not overly burdensome. 
So let me let me just ask you: Is there, is there specific language you suggest? You know, in our in our PSO document, we we put some sample language in there, and and one thing we noted: if we're listening to someone and we're advising them to go to the emergency room, um, we would want to understand their resistance. We'd ask them what. What are the reasons for not going? And then you said, understand where you're coming from. It could be inconvenient to go to the emergency department, but I want to make sure you understand what I'm worried about and that you have all the information you need to make the right decision. In this case, I'm concerned your chest pain could mean you're having a heart attack because you have two risk factors. You have a family history of heart disease and diabetes. I'm recommending an emergency room evaluation because this is the best way to figure out what's going on. If you don't go to the emergency room, there is a risk of serious damage to your heart, which could, which could cause severe illness or possibly death. So, you know, in this case, it's saying what you're worried about, giving them the information, have them decide and to say what could happen if you have a heart attack. Not everyone may know. Or what could happen if you had a ruptured appendix? Not everyone would may know. Great. Uh, what else do, do uh, listeners need to know? About it? You know, I think one area to touch on is a harm reduction, which gets tricky when we're um, trying to triage or, dispo, or or find a disposition for patients calling with the symptom. Um, certainly, if we recommend emergency room and they decline, often the question is what to do. Do you bring them in? Do you offer a virtual visit, even knowing that it's second best? Um, and I think we don't want to have patient abandonment. And so I think this is another nuanced area of the informed decision making. So certainly give them that opportunity to make the decision to follow your recommendation. If they refuse, however, um, it's important not to abandon care and it's okay to offer a second line, right? In, in that case, some care is better than no care. Um, but this is where you'd want to more heavily lean on your documentation to say we advise emergency room for these reasons, for these risks, patient decline, but, you know, some care is better than none, so we're offering this visit. And sometimes at that point, you can help get a better understanding or have the time to have a better conversation. Well, thank you. Adrian Allen is Senior Director of Quality, Safety, and Sustainability at North Shore Physicians Group, Mass General Brigham, Salem. I'm Tom Agello for SafetyNet. Thank you for listening to SafetyNet, a podcast of news, trends, and ideas from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu slash podcasts and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.